for some questions. And um, we got some very good questions. What we have to know is that there are many, I, I have a disclaimer here at the beginning of the meeting. There are many questions that have no answer. So I can give you a response, but an answer, the answer will only come from the Lord, I'm sure, especially most of these questions involve things that we can't solve, so we, we, we can fellowship, which is what we will do, and, um, you know, all these questions are, legit, are legitimate, and they're real, and including uh, the, the question that the sister asked in the meeting, you know, about, about brothers helping their wives with babies. Please, please don't misunderstand me. I'm all for that. <laughs> brothers do need, to, they do need to, to help their wives. But I think especially in a, in a meeting, it's, it's not as fitting for a brother to be caring for the children in a meeting while the meeting's going on, I think it's more fitting if, and in particular, if the brother is a brother bearing responsibility for that meeting, it's better for him, just for that hour, to bear the responsibility for the meeting. And uh, it's just more fitting, that's all. Okay, we have a number of good questions here. I'm not going to take them in a particular order. It doesn't mean that some are better than others. Um, and if we run out of time, it's okay, because this isn't our last meeting. But I won't be able to give a very thorough response to any of them, because every one of them we could spend an hour on, especially this one. Uh, <laughs> which is why I want to cover it first. It says, I find it awkward to pray with my husband, is this normal? Both of us are in the church life. How should I develop spiritual time with him? <clears throat> very good question. Very, very good question. Is it normal? No, it is not. We must have, in, as believers in Christ, there must be a spiritual component to our marriage life. It's a human relationship, but, but we are God-men. And not only so, as I said this morning, we need to have a relationship with our husband or wife that goes further. It goes beyond the natural relationship into a relationship in resurrection. That's normal. As we grow in life, the natural relationship, it's still there, but there's something of resurrection there now. And uh, how to pray or have a spiritual time together, it, it can be awkward, especially if you let it go for a long time. Um, if you let it go for a long time, it becomes really awkward because let me... Here, I'll tell you something that will not shock you, sisters, but men are proud creatures. They're proud. 
it's really hard to tell them what to do, and it's really hard for a sister to tell them what to do and for them to take it. So if the sister isn't wise in the way she initiates spiritual things, it may not work out very well. But couldn't you just have a talk about it? You know, my wife and I had a a talk about this many, many, many years ago, and we decided and we agreed that we can always, either one of us can always ask the other one to pray. Always. So we already got it out of the way. It won't offend me if she asks me because I already told her it's fine. If, if you feel we need to pray, just tell me we need to pray, we'll pray. And if I feel we need to pray, I'm going to tell you we'll pray. Oh, my goodness, when we went to practice that, especially when we were young. Uh, you know, young, here's another news item for you. Young couples sometimes quarrel. And sometimes right after, I, I, li- I like the euphemism that Brother Lee uses, we exchanged words. That sounds so much better than quarrel, doesn't it? Yeah, we exchanged words, and then my wife says, we need to pray. I'm like, oh, no. Now? But let me tell you, it's been a great help to our marriage, we, because even then, we practiced that. We did. We did. And that helped us get through any of those kind of things. Um, if you haven't had that in your marriage life, I would say start small. Uh, don't try to do a lot at one time, but don't let it go either. There's got to be a way that as people in the church life, let me say it this way. You know, our, our pattern today for the building up of the church is vital groups. That's our pattern. Uh, that's our practice. In other words, okay, I said earlier the building block is homes. That's right. And then from the homes, it goes to the groups. From the groups, it goes to the church. <laughs> what's, the, what's the most important unit? It's the couple in the home. That's the most important unit. So at some point, we, we need to do our best to be vitally related to our husband or wife. I know it's a two-way street. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. But that should be our goal. And if your husband loves the Lord, he's for the church, he should be willing to pray with you. But be wise how you ask him. Don't condemn him for his lack of prayer. Just say, dear, it would really help me a lot if you could pray with me. And that's hard to say no to. And, and then just see if you can have that become a part of your, your life together. Um, when we were young, we practiced... Every night before we went to bed, we would pray together. That was lovely. That was so lovely. Now, I'm usually not at home, so I can't do that every night, but it was lovely when we did it. Um, it was just our practice. It was our habit. We, 
no matter what happened during that day, we just said, okay, it's over now. It's time to pray. And we went to bed happy every night. That's a good way to not let the sun go down on your indignation. Okay, we could say a lot about that. I hope that helps a little. Can a sister give suggestions to the leading brothers? If the answer is yes, how can we do it? Sure you can. We need your suggestions. We need the fellowship of all the members of the body. You see things that we don't see. You know things that we don't know. You have insights that we don't have. Just like we need the fellowship from the brothers, of course we need the fellowship from the sisters. Of course we do. Um, The word suggestion causes me just a little bit of concern. That, because that word means, that implies that you have a better idea how the brothers should be doing their job than they do. Let's just get rid of the word suggestion and use fellowship. Can we fellowship? Yes. Can you fellowship your concerns about the church? Yes. We need that. We need that. But it's better to fellowship and not suggest. Um, But if you suggest, do it in a proper spirit. The brothers will be gracious to you. But, yeah, do it in a spirit of fellowship. We should do it. And, And I don't know any brothers who would be bothered by that. Here's a good life question. How do I practically know the cross? Can you give an example of your own experience? You know, the cross, um, the cross is very often just the very circumstances that the Lord has arranged for us. Um, The cross is also the church life itself. The cross is also, if you don't misunderstand me, the cross is also the saints in that nobody, this is a very strange thing, but nobody asked me my opinion on who should be in the church life. Isn't that odd? And sometimes I tell the Lord, this person does not belong in the church life. That's my opinion. But for some reason, God placed him there. Well, that's the cross. And our husband and wife are the cross to us. You know why? Because they're God's will for us. And I would say the most experience in my Christian life, the most experience that I have had of the cross has in fact come in the marriage life. That's where I've experienced it more than any other place. Um, I shared this recently. You may have heard it, but I'll repeat it. One time I was in a, a locality having a conference like this, and the brothers asked me, they said, after the conference is over, can we have a meeting for all the married couples? 
and can you talk about marriage? I said, no, 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 no. I cannot do that. I said, we can, we can, we can talk about the truth. Uh, we can't talk about marriage. And they told me, well, we've already announced it, and uh, <laughs> everyone is coming. And I said, well, you brothers, go ahead. Go ahead and share with them. I don't have anything to say. And they twisted my arm. They said, you have to say something. So I really prayed. I mean, I'm serious. I really prayed. I said, Lord, I, I am not going to give ethical advice on how to have a happy marriage. I'm not going to give Christian psychology on how to have a happy marriage. You want that? There's a thousand books in the Christian bookstore. All of them are wrong. That's why there's a thousand of them. <laughs> If even one of them was right, you wouldn't need the other 999. So I said, I can't do that. Because you and I already know the answer. It, 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 it's not, there's not a simple answer. So I thought about it a lot. And then I realized something. You know what the marriage life is? It's a, it's a little miniature of the church life. You're living in a home with a member of the body of Christ that you need to be one with and that you need to be built together with. If it can't happen there, it can't happen anywhere. So it has to happen there. So how does it happen there? Same way it happens in the church life. And the Lord reminded me of the subject of the book of 1 Corinthians in the recovery version. It says, Christ and his cross, the solution to every problem in the church. Isn't that right? And I love the utterance there, Christ and his cross. They're really not two things, but we need to mention both of them because we have the concept, hey, I'm enjoying Christ. Everything will be okay. Well, maybe. I know one brother who claims that he enjoys Christ. He's been divorced four times. I have a pretty big question mark about his enjoyment of Christ. He, de he quote, enjoys Christ, but in his kind of enjoyment of Christ, there's no cross. But the real enjoyment of Christ includes the experience of the cross. And so we can substitute Christ and his cross, the solution to every problem in the marriage life. Christ and his cross, the solution to every problem in the family life. The same principles apply because the same thing is happening. Like I said, while you're raising your kids, you're building the church. That's where it's going on. It's going on in your home. So the same principles that apply in the church life apply in your home. So the experience of the cross, if, if we're going to have that in the church, we're first going to have it in our home. That's where we're going to experience it. And here's how we experience it. It's in a thousand things. You know, when two people are living together, even though they love each other very much, under God's sovereignty, have you ever heard this expression? Opposites attract. Under God's sovereignty, we all love a person who's very, very different than us. 
I'm fast, she's slow. I like the window open, she likes the window closed. <laughs> I try my very best to be on time for the meetings. She has a completely different concept of time. <laughs> I think she may live in eternity. <laughs> to her time is irrelevant. This is God's sovereignty. Where's the experience of the cross? Oh, when I was young, I used to use the scriptures to tell my wife that Jesus is always on time. <laughs> so if we really live the Lord, we're going to be on time. Ah! <laughs> and then I told her, you know, we both went to the full-time training in the character class. The very first thing they teach you is punctuality. <laughs> So I thought I had the Bible on my side. I thought I had the ministry on my side. And I used all that to condemn my wife. Here's another one. My, you know, I can't help it. I'm an accountant. I, I like things really orderly. I just do. You know, I, 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 you know, I even like this stuff to be, I like it, I like it orderly. But my wife, she likes things to be convenient. It's just way more convenient. So then I would tell her, don't you know when the Lord resurrected from the dead, he folded up. So I would quote her the life studies to condemn her. Then one day, after you know, learning a few lessons, I realized I'm trying to conform her to me. That's a real bad idea. No one should be conformed to me. We should all be conformed to Christ. So I need to be conformed to Christ. Just because I have some points in my character that are, quote, good. doesn't mean they're Christ. And the fact is, I have a whole lot of points in my character that are not good or Christ. So, after a while, we just said, we, we're, let's both get conformed to Christ. Let's not try to conform each other to each other. Oh, man, you have a much happier marriage life that way. And, you know, that's why couples need two cars. As <laughs> Soon as we got a second car, there was no problem. <laughs> we could both live in our own concept of time. Okay. okay, here's a serious one. As an older sister, I'm currently witnessing a young mother who is living in an abusive relationship. Her husband, a young believer, not growing in him, likes to get drunk and would become abusive to her. Even when he is not drinking or drunk, he will constantly be verbal, verbally chipping her soul away 
by saying things and words to hurt her. Apart from praying for her, I am lost and saddened by what I have heard from her. She needs practical help, but I don't know how to help her. She's not meeting now, nor her two-year-old son. She wants to leave him to keep her sanity, but is torn and feels trapped. I fear that she will have a mental breakdown. Well, this is very, very, very serious, and there's a couple things there, um, and, and we can't go into detail because of the time, but I would say this. Um, anytime a person is in physical danger, they need to get out of it. I would advise that sister to get out of the danger that she's facing. I, I, never I never tell people to divorce. I never tell people to separate. It's not my place to do that. It, that's their decision. But if a person becomes abusive, and, and, and not only physically, that's, that's a dangerous situation. And <clears throat> how to help her, I, I'm not sure. Um, certainly pray for her. And I would fellowship with the brothers. It may be that some of the brothers could, could talk with him, or maybe not. He may not be open to that. But we certainly don't want people to feel that they have to be in a situation where they're, they are threatened. That's not a good situation. And, and obviously, he needs... He needs some help with the matter of drinking, but you probably are not the one to help him. And, and apparently she isn't either, but, um, well, this, this happens, doesn't it? And um, <clears throat> that's a sad story. It's a very sad story. Um, I have seen it happen, though, that people got through such a situation in order to get through, though, there's going to have to be a way for one or both of them to receive some shepherding. And you know what we were saying a moment ago about the cross? Let me say one more thing. If even one person in a relationship really experiences the cross, it can work. It's when neither one do that it can't work. And if both experience the cross, it'll be very sweet. But even if only one experiences the cross, it can still work. I've seen that a lot of times. So um, I would still say to the sister that in her environment, in her situation, she is married to this brother, and he is a brother from what it says. So regardless of anything else, she does need to experience the Lord in her environment and not expect that the Lord is going to change her husband. He may, he may not, because the Lord changing her husband requires his cooperation, doesn't it? I mean, the Lord would love to change her husband. He may not be willing. So what do we do in this kind of situation? If, if you're a sister and you know her, I would... You know, I would try to try to supply her with life, try to pray with her, try to enjoy the Lord with her. That's the only way she can get through 
that kind of a, of a, of a, of a situation. How do you help sisters who don't want to be helped? It may be that they just don't want your help. No, I'm, I'm really being honest. I'm, not, I'm really not joking. Sometimes we're just, not, we're just simply not the right person. We are not the right person to meet every need that we see. We just aren't. People are open to others for reasons we never know. It's like some people are just really open to you for no reason except that you're you and they're them. And then other people, they're not open to you. It doesn't make you bad. It doesn't make them bad. It's the way it is in the human life. We aren't the person to meet every need and in the church life. So if, if a person isn't willing to receive your help, you should pray that they will receive someone's help. And if they're really not open to any help, we should pray that they will be open to some help. I mean, this is the real thing with all of us. We've all been there. All of us have been in a situation where we need help, but we aren't that open to get it. Well, somebody needs to pray that the Lord will open us to the help that we do need. Let's save this one. I've been married for a few years, but sometimes don't feel attracted to my husband. How to love him? How to be attracted to him? Well, that's a real question. You know, I'm sure if my wife was here, she would tell you that once upon a time, I was very good looking. (laughs) But it was so long ago, she just can't remember. It has been so long. So long. Um, Let me say a little word about marriage, and then I'll address that more directly. You know, marriage can be likened to our consecration with the Lord. It has a motive. It also has a basis. And the motive of our consecration is love. But love is not the basis of our consecration. Love could never be the basis because love fluctuates. You know, you want the, ba- you want the foundation of this building to, to fluctuate? I don't think so. No, the basis has to be something that never changes. Love does change. At least the feeling of love. See, because that's actually what we're talking about. We're not even talking about love. We're talking about a feeling. Feelings are the most variable things ever. So what's the basis of consecration? It's the fact that the Lord has purchased us with his blood and that we do not belong to ourselves. There's something that will never change. Now, the reason we consecrate ourselves or the motive is We love the Lord for purchasing us. But the truth is, the feeling of love 
comes and goes, doesn't it? New believers have all kinds of... Man, when I was a new believer, boy, did I have a lot of feeling of love towards the Lord. I was full of that feeling, just full of it. Today, feelings... I don't even pay attention to feelings. I don't even take feelings into account. I don't even consider how I feel. It doesn't matter. It's actually completely irrelevant. You know why? Because I'm standing on the basis. I'm not standing on the feeling. Okay, so let's apply this to the marriage life. The motive of, the mar- of marriage is love. What's the basis of marriage? It's a covenant. It's a covenant. It's a choice. I choose this person for the rest of my life. And, we, and very often we accompany that choice with a vow. And we say, good or bad, rich or poor, sickness or health, ugly or pretty. No, they, we don't use that one, but we ought to. <laughs> Bald or gray hair. Yeah, skinny or fat. (laughs) Hey, we're we're coming up with some good stuff here, Paul. Next wedding I do. Next wedding I do. We're changing those vows. As in the past, I forgot those two. And that covenant that we make... It's actually, if you're a believer in Christ, there are three parties to this covenant. It's not just you and your husband. It's you, your husband, and Christ. Christ is part of that. Because the Bible says what God has joined together. Do not let man separate. So God's a part of that. You not only made a choice between you and him, You made a choice between you, him, and the Lord. Now, that's a covenant. If you do that, you don't even pay attention to how you feel. You say, well, still, I don't feel any love. Let me tell you, you can choose to love. Love is actually not a feeling. There is such a thing as a feeling of love, but love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. And you can say, it better be a choice or we're in big trouble. Do you, let me ask you a question. Do you feel love toward every single member of the church in your, your locality? Of course not. Some of them you don't even feel like, <laughs> let alone love. I don't even like that person. (laughs) But you can choose to love a person that you don't like, can't you? It really works. You know why? Because the Lord loves that person. And when we use our, our will to choose, then the Lord can empower us to love. With a love, here's the secret, with a love, that is not our own. That's how you can love your husband. 
Don't try to do it with your love. Your love ran out a long time ago. Now it's time to learn how to love him with the love that comes from another source. And how do we do that? We choose. And, and I'll give you a verse, Second Timothy 1, 6 and 7. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of power, uh, of cowardice, but of power and of love and of sober-mindedness. Well, power refers to the will. Love refers to the emotions. Sober-mindedness refers to the mind. But Paul says that those three things are in our spirit. That means this, the real love, it's not in your emotions. That's what you're looking for, it's not there. The real love is in your spirit. Your real love for your husband, the real attraction to him is in your spirit. When you say, I chose this person, and I still choose this person, and I choose this person in the Lord and with the Lord, you will love him. You'll love him with a love that isn't yours. Um, that's what I can say. I have experienced that. I know for sure my wife has. I'm just simply not the man she married. If you know what I mean. Here's another hard one. How do we shepherd saints who are separated or divorced in the church life? That does happen, doesn't it? For a variety of reasons. We are not living in utopia. We're not in the New Jerusalem yet. Um, every local church is the church in Corinth. It's a real, genuine local church with real, genuine problems, right? Things happen in the human life and in the church life that sometimes result in this. Both want to go on with the Lord, but not with each other. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, and what do you do? Which one do you shepherd? <laughs> if you're related to both. Hmm. And if they remain in the church, what's a proper attitude? And then another, this one's, this is a multifaceted, <laughs> multifarious question. How to fellowship with the young people who are scared and put off by of marriage because of divorce in the church? Okay, let's talk briefly about each one of those. How do we shepherd the saints who go through that? Same way we shepherd anyone. Um, it's part of human life. It's going to happen. We are going to see it. We have seen it. We will see it. Uh, we need to care for them. The church is not a police station. It's not a court of law. We don't enforce laws here. It's a hospital. It's a school. And it's a family. So what do we, how do we shepherd them? We care for both of them. We care for everyone. We care for both of them to go on with the Lord. We care for both of them to have a church life. You say, well, how can they have a church life in that condition? I don't know. But that's their condition. What should we do? Just leave them outside and tell them 
not to have a church life. We can't do that, especially if we care for them. Many times, this is the very last thing they ever wanted to happen. Don't you know people like that? I do. They never, ever, ever wanted to find themselves in that situation. And they did everything they could to avoid it. And even if they didn't, who am I to judge? Nobody knows what goes on in a marriage. Nobody, except the two people who are involved. So I'm certainly not qualified to make any judgment. So what do we do with them? We try to tell them both, this is not the end of your life. And it's not the end of your Christian life. It's not the end of your human life. And it's not the end of your church life. Maybe you need to have a church life in another locality, or maybe it's here, I don't know. But definitely, don't they still need the church life? It's the only way we can live this human life in any normal way is to have the church life. If you're related to both, I'm not so sure I would try to shepherd both. That's hard. And you don't need to shepherd everybody. Just shepherd one of them. Especially if you're a sister, shepherd the sister. Let one of the brothers shepherd the brother. If they remain in the church, what is a proper attitude? Well, we receive all the believers. There's nothing in the Bible that says we don't receive believers who are divorced or separated. If that were the case, we're going to lose, the church is going to go way down on the whole earth. And in Christianity, there'll be no one left. No, the, the Bible doesn't say that the basis of receiving the believers is their marital status, does it? It's not even mentioned in Romans 14, which talks about receiving the believers. You say, yeah, but they broke this and that and the other thing. What about you? Yeah, you're not divorced. You're not separated. You broke a whole bunch of things. We still receive you. We'll still receive them, and we need to receive them. What's our attitude? Our attitude is we love them, and we receive them. And we're very, very sorry for what happened with them. We wish it hadn't happened. What else could it be? That's that. They say, well, what about if what they did was wrong? We're not the judge of that. The Lord is. We don't judge people in this age to decide whether they get to be in the church life or not. There's very few things we don't tolerate in the church life. We don't tolerate division. If you're divisive, we will ask you to go out those doors and not come back. If you are idolatrous, we don't accept that, and we will not accept it. And if you persist in living in gross sin, we're not going to allow you to spread that among the saints. But anything else, we receive you, because every single last one of us is a sinner. Every one of us has plenty of failures. So there's very few things that would cause us to not receive the believers. That Those are the main ones. And how to fellowship with the young people. I sympathize. But let me tell you, there's two things we can do. 
Number one, be a pattern. Be a pattern. Show them what it's like to have a wonderful marriage life in Christ and the church. Show them what it looks like. You know, the nice, oh man, the happiest, oh, I was so happy the other day. My youngest daughter, she's only been married a year. She says, Dad, marriage is harder than I thought it was going to be. I said, yeah. I said, you've only been working on it for a year. It'll get better. And then she said to me, she goes, you and Mom are happy, aren't you? I said, yeah. And she goes, I can tell. I was like, oh, good. Oh, good. She can tell. That means she has hope. She said, man, if my mom and dad are happy after 38 years, maybe I, would, maybe I can be. Maybe I can be. Of course you can be. So show them a proper pattern. And secondly, let them know marriage is not just for you. We don't get married just for ourselves. That's not our view of marriage. That's the worldly view of marriage. We get married for God's economy. We do everything for God's economy. We live for God's economy. We breathe for it. We work at a job for it. We get married for it. We have children for it. We go to school and get educated for it. Everything we do is for God's economy. So let's help the young people understand that Marriage is something wonderful and something needed. The church needs it. God needs it. It's something for the Lord and for the church. There's a way to have a marriage for Christ and the church. Let's show them that. And the, the ones that didn't turn out that way are the exceptions, not the rule. There's always some exceptions. I wish there weren't. But there are. Hey, I think we're going to make it. My nature is to be quite private. Me too. <laughs> I know you don't believe that. It's true. Uh, it, it, yeah, it really is. My nature is to be quite private and avoid gossiping. I find that this may keep me from opening up to other sisters and that I come off as too serious or standoffish. How do, how do we take this word about not speaking? How do we shepherd humanly without speaking? Well, we didn't say don't speak. <laughs> we say we shouldn't gossip or speak idle words. Of course we need to speak. We're living in a communal life here. It is a family life. It is a big family. We do need to speak with one another. In fact, there's a great need for us to speak with one another. The, the point is that our speaking needs to minister life. Our speaking needs to be according to the Spirit. Even if we're a private person, if we're, if we're going to get built up in the church life, we're going to have to learn to get out of ourself. You only know me as a brother who speaks in the meetings, but... That is not my natural disposition. If, I, if you allow me to live in myself, which I, no one's allowing me to do that these days, but I would be in the very back row, and I certainly wouldn't say anything. That's if I was in the meeting at all. 
I probably wouldn't be in the meeting. Um, I would rather not tell you about my failures and my weaknesses. I would rather not stand up here in front of all of you and expose myself. But you know what? I've learned to get out of myself. And I've learned that three things that I need to do very much require me to not live in myself. To preach the gospel, I have to be out of myself. It's just not in my natural disposition to preach the gospel. But if I am not in myself, I can do it. The second thing I can do is prophesy. But I can't do it in the self. And I don't want to do it in the self. But I've learned that I can do it if I get out of the self. The same way with this kind of fellowship with the saints where we need a certain amount of interaction with others. You know, to be built up in a vital way, this is, this is the other, you know, every truth has two sides. Here's the other side of the truth that we spoke about, you know, not having idle words and gossip. The other side of that truth is that we need to have an intimate care and concern for one another. We need to know a little bit about each other. I need to know how many kids you have. I need to know how old they are. I should know their names. I should know a little bit about you and your job and your husband. And, and then we need to have an intimate care and concern for one another. So that's the other side. So we do have to speak, don't we? And I would say, you know, if that's not your disposition, you just exercise your spirit and try to not live according to your disposition. Um, you'll probably never be a real talkative person. That's maybe good because we got a lot of those already. <laughs> and um, just, yeah, maybe that's good enough. Um, I would love to have an open home with no hindrance. However, my husband is very tricky to deal with. Hey, did my wife put this one in there? <laughs> no, she left. This isn't hers. He has a heart for the Lord and for the church, but not much inward reality and cannot be told what to do. That's all men. You can't tell men what to do. Yeah. There's a lot of criticism of the saints from him, but at the same time he cares about them. What is the best way to go on? Well, when you're married, whatever you're going to do in terms of opening your home, having the saints in your home, caring for the saints in your home, you both have to be in one accord to do that. You can't, you can't impose that. And if your husband limits you, or if, 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 and I would say the same thing to the brothers, if your wife limits you, you better be limited because that's your husband. And if he doesn't want to do it, you probably just can't do it. So what should you do? Take care of him. I love the testimony we heard this morning. Take care of him. Cherish him. Nourish him. You know, men are simple animals. You, you feed them, they're real happy. And the more you feed them, the happier they are. It's amazing. Um, yeah, if you care for him, there's a good chance he will want to do that. 
Um, but I, I'll share one other thing with you. We have a little book in the ministry, a small one, called Eating the Lord. Eating the Lord. And in that book, it uses the story in Matthew 15 about the Canaanite woman. She, she tells the Lord, my daughter's sick. I need you to heal my daughter. And the Lord, instead of responding to that, says, <clears throat> it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And then she says, well, even the little dogs get the crumbs. And then he says, great is your faith, and your daughter is healed. Huh? What just happened there? According to this book, Eating the Lord, <clears throat> she thought <clears throat> her daughter needed a miraculous healing. But the Lord thought, if you eat the Lord, your daughter's going to be just fine. That's the interpretation. And in that book, he applies it to the marriage life. He says, your husband's struggling. Don't tell him he needs to eat the Lord. You'll make him mad. <laughs> you eat the Lord, and your husband will be strengthened. Try it out. It's real. You know why? The member of the body you are most organically joined to very, very closely and intrinsically is him. How your spiritual condition will directly affect his spiritual condition. If he's doing poorly, eat the Lord more. See what happens. Hey, last question, one minute. As an older sister, I'm burdened to shepherd younger ones, but I feel that I'm struggling myself and lack the capacity and supply. <clears throat> That's probably good if you feel that you are able to do it. That's probably a bigger problem. The fact that you realize that you yourself have needs, that's good. That's good. That will actually help you to be a good shepherd to others. You know, Peter could not shepherd anyone because he was too proud. He thought he was better than the brothers. It was only when he realized that he was a complete failure in John 21 that the Lord told him, okay, good, now you can shepherd my sheep. And he did. Before that, he could never do it. So, yeah, we all need more supply. Me too. We all need more capacity. But the, the other side of that is, when you care for others, you get so much. Somebody testified that this morning, and I agree. When you care for others, you get the supply. So don't let that stop you for sure. Okay, good. We made it through those questions. There may be more. If there, if there are, just put them in the box, and after I leave, Ray will spend the next year... <laughs> answering all of them. <laughs> he, knows, he knows all of the answers.